Thank you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Kiriaki. That's me. Dr. Molly Maloof is passionate about extending Hillspan through her medical practice, personal brand, entrepreneurial, and educational endeavors. She provides personalized medicine to world-class entrepreneurs, investors, and executives. Dr. Maloof is on the frontier of digital health technologies, biofeedback-assisted lifestyle interventions, and science-backed wellness products and services. Dr. Molly, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, let's just dive right into the human connection. So what's your thought on human connection? I was really fascinated by biology and health from a very young age. And I've been really trying to understand what are the biggest drivers of health and disease and happiness and despair, because there's a lot of confusion about health in modern life, because people are getting pretty, you know, sick and obese in our culture. And we see these rising rates of suicide and depression and all sorts of really big problems in society, like mass shootings and you name it. And I've been really trying to understand, like, why are we at this point where we're both living at the best time in human history, but we're also facing some really interesting problems. And so I've been wanting to figure out, well, how do we help people understand why they are the way they are in modern life? And then also, what can we do about it? And I really, I like to look back to evolutionary biology and history to understand what human life, what we, what we evolved our genetics to be adapted to in terms of our human lives, and then how that's different from the world we're living in today. So human connection comes in because we have this quote unquote loneliness epidemic. Mm-hmm. But it's actually not a loneliness epidemic. Loneliness is just a signal, like a hunger signal or a pain signal that's really designed to move people closer to their tribe. So the real epidemic is a social disconnection epidemic. And loneliness is a symptom of the disconnection. And a lot of people have families and they live with people, but they can still be lonely. So that's perceived loneliness, right? Perceived social disconnection. And then there's objective social disconnection, which is literally you don't have people around you regularly. And if you actually look at research, people are spending less time with friends and spending more time alone. And I think that this is definitely impacting our metabolisms and our mental health because it's out of alignment with our genetic design. Yeah. And what about for the people who are introverts? You know, they're not the ones going out all the time and having these human connections and they're socially awkward in a way, or they just like staying home. Like I remember hearing during the pandemic, a lot of introverts were like, huh, this is just what I normally do. This is great. (laughs) So what about the people who, um, you know, are just more introverted and or they're socially awkward, not connecting with people or having dysfunctional families and not being able to connect with, you know, you say family and friends, but they don't have the family to go to and they feel less than because they feel like there's something's wrong with them because of their family. I mean, that is part of the problem is the decline of the family and the decline of the ability to work on problems with families. And a lot of people just resigning to believing that their families just aren't loving or caring you know, and um, a lot of people just aren't willing to do the work on relationships to make them work. And there's a lot of mental illness in certain families, which can make it almost impossible to do the work, right? So the first and foremost thing that you have to think about in this situation is firstly, compassion, because not everybody is going to get the best family, but that's okay, because you can, there's your, there's your, you know, genetic family, and then there's your chosen family. And I don't really care if you're an extrovert or an introvert. I don't believe that people are meant to be disconnected the way we are today. 
And I think that introversion is often an excuse for not connecting with people. Obviously, there's a certain nervous system setting in some people that makes them more more likely to get energy from being more more basically they get energy from from not being around tons and tons of people like being around lots and lots of people can drain energy for certain people mm-hmm. that's that's exi- that's totally well established but in general almost everybody is designed to be around others maybe it's not a giant crowd or a conference mm-hmm. and maybe you, some people need more time alone than others but everyone needs love and connection to thrive period there's no question that this is the solution to a lot of modern ills So the question is, is how much, right? So there's like a spectrum, of course. So I'm extremely extroverted, but sometimes I don't want to talk to anybody for like a whole day. And like Sunday, I had the best day. I didn't do anything on Sunday. And I can't remember the last time I did nothing. And it was so glorious. I literally was like, it was the laziest day of the, I think I've had in a year. And it was pretty wonderful to actually experience so much um, rest when I really needed it. But I had also spent time interacting with people for three weeks. So, you know, like your interactions with others is going to also be dependent on how much you're having as a baseline. Sometimes like when you have a lot of interaction, you may need more time alone. And, And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm like the world's expert on social connection. I just happened to spend like two years studying the science of love. And what it taught me was that oxytocin is nature's medicine. And this is from the work of Sue Carter, who's an incredible researcher who discovered pair bonding in prairie voles and has been studying oxytocin for her 50, 50 year career and discovered that this, um, you know, she and a bunch of other researchers have discovered that oxytocin is fundamentally a healing modality. And it comes from safety, trust, and loving relationships. It comes from cuddling and affection. It comes from orgasm and laughing. It comes from touching, holding a child and and, and nurturing children. It comes from childbirth. Um, it comes from breastfeeding. And it's almost like we have this system in our minds and our bodies to enable us to connect with others because it is preserving ourselves and preserving our biology, and preserving our health. Yeah. Beautiful. And um, in the when you were studying uh, the love of science, uh, what are some of your favorite books that you read within those two years? In terms of like the science of love? Yeah. Um, I mean, most of the stuff that I read was actually in white papers. Mm. So I read like hundreds of white papers. But I think if you're looking for research, I also hired an entire intern team of interns last summer. And I got like tons of literature that was summarized for me. And mm. so we're going to be launching our brand, Adama Bioscience. And one of the things that we're going to be launching is a lot of the content that we've got on um, love and relationships that came from uh, the internship that I ran. So I mean, some of the some of the books that really I thought were impactful for were books that were written by Dan Siegel. Like he's a really, really brilliant human. He actually wrote so much on social connectivity. It's like one of his big things he talks about. But then there's also just like a lot of research that I've done on trauma and social injury. Um, like you, if you haven't read The Body Keeps the, that Keeps the Score, that's a really good book. Mm-hmm. There's also a good book called Healing Sex, uh, A Mind-Body Approach to Healing Sexual Trauma. There's so many books on social connection. There's so many, there's just like, I literally, I have so much to summarize, but I would recommend people keep tabs on the company Adamo Bioscience because we're going to be coming out with a lot of really great content coming up. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I found was like literally in white papers and literature. Congratulations. That's so, I'm really excited for it. That's so neat. That's and, and yeah. needed, like you said. Uh, the first book I heard of, uh, the second one, no, I'm definitely going to uh, get them on audio. Dom Miguel Ruiz has amazing ones called Mastery of Love. You know, the the 
author who did the four agreements. It's called Mastery of Love. It's quite beautiful and poetic. Let's pivot and shape shift into, you know, women and their menstrual cycle. Last season was a women empowerment series. And I had all these international women on to hear their stories and the, the impact of divine feminine energy. But we didn't come up with the moon cycle, the menstrual cycle and, it, and being connected to it. So I think um, I have a lot of women and young girls listen to the show. So I think it'd be really fun and interesting to dive into that topic. Well, the menstrual cycle is a lifestyle biomarker. And just like blood sugar, heart rate variability, your libido and your menstrual cycle are like very important markers of health. And a lot of women just don't pay attention to their menstruation because they would rather not think about it because oftentimes they have problems with it that they haven't been able to solve. And so I really think you have to pay attention to it. Like I'm always tracking my period with the app called Clue or Natural Cycles and Aura Ring. And like I realized I forgot to I forgot to log my cycle this week. And so I'm like logging it today. But what I love about logging my cycle is it can like basically help me understand, is it regular? Is it regular? Are there issues with it? But in general, it's it's pretty darn regular. So I'm so excited. I am. Yeah. Uh, I just downloaded it because I had something before and I didn't use it. And I'm a little all over the place. And I'm kind of like this rebel with like, everyone's like consistency, consistency. And it's just like, uh, but it's like, I'm, I'm consistent with not being consistent. So that's my consistency. Bad joke. But the thing is, I'm an athlete. So once an athlete, always an athlete. And I was a late bloomer. And I've always been irregular. So sometimes I would get my period once every three months. And every single time I'd go to the doctors, they're like, when did you have your last cycle? And it's just been so difficult to give that information. And then it's like an awareness because like you said, like so many people don't keep track of it. So speaking of that, I mean, you should really check out the portion of my book on the topic of relative energy deficiency of sport. Because oftentimes the reason why you're having these irregular cycles is that I mean, I don't know if this is your case, but this was me when I was in when I was in high school. Um, I became a runner, and I thought I was eating enough food, but I lost a lot of weight, and I had what I, I basically like my energy consumption was not meeting the demands of my exercise program. And so my period stopped for that reason. And I see this in a lot of women who try to start biohacking and they start doing intermittent fasting and ketosis and high intensity interval training and weight training. And they're doing it all at once. And their periods are irregular because they're actually not metabolically unhealthy to begin with. And now they're doing all of these biohacks, which are great if you're metabolically unhealthy, but if you're already metabolically healthy, you may not need to do all that. And they're causing too much stress on the system. So this is part of the reason why I wrote the book, because I wanted to teach people like, you really don't want to overdo these things, especially if you're a woman. Yeah, the spark factor will be in the show notes below. uh, So people can tune in to get it. Very cool. Uh, I'm a runner as well. So short term, medium term, long term goals, what you do as an individual affects the whole when it's you know it's a team sport but it's individual sport so I always liked running cross country because you can apply it to your personal and then you can apply it to workforce as well so it's it's great for uh you know, the mental state of awareness and having that foresight and insight. When I was uh, growing up, I was aware of my physical health because I ran cross country. When I started hearing about emotional intelligence, then I went on my exploration of scientists and Dr. Joe Dispenza and what he's been saying in science for two decades, 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day, 90% of our thoughts are the same thoughts, then firing and wiring our synapses and then unfiring and unwiring and having long form neurotransmitters and then the short-circuited neurotransmitters and then 
the words and the tone of how people communicate with one another. So, you know, and how it like sticks to you. Like so when someone says something or if you have noise pollution, if you're in New York City and someone's screaming and there's the noise pollution. So how to protect emotional health and how to be aware of it without denying that inner voice within and acknowledging our own feelings without feeling like a wimp or a victim. Because in the times of today, it's like if you express your emotions, or if you talk about emotions, someone can quickly laugh at you or make it a joke that you know, you're playing a victim. So that that balance and weaving in today's society with knowing if you're in a victim mode, or, you know, really having stuff that we're growing and dealing with, because there's a lot of it, but we don't like you said earlier, when we started, people aren't knowing the tools on how to, you know, apply the solutions for what's happening in the world right now with our vulnerability of our emotional health. I mean, I would, I I definitely think you make a lot of really good points here because there certainly are a lot of people who didn't get proper conditioning from their parents on how to handle emotional distress. And that leads to them turning to things like social media, porn and food to feed their emotional pain. And the way I kind of describe the, one of the bigger problems is that a lot of social media, porn and food is processed. So you're getting processed food, you're getting processed social connection through social media, and you're getting processed sex through porn. And it's not surprising that we're in a mental illness epidemic when we know for a fact that processed food is damaging to the body and the mind. And we know that sex is not a replacement, like porn is not a replacement for human connection and social and like touch. And also that like you, even if you have like hundreds or thousands of friends on social media, they're not the same as real person friends. And so I think we are now heading into a world where people are starting to have relationships with AI. And it's just going to be a dystopian universe if we don't wake up and realize that the real path to emotional you know, balance comes from challenging yourself and overcoming challenges and learning how to course correct and learning how to sit with difficult emotions without falling apart. So my bank, Silicon Valley Bank, almost lost all my money. for my company. And I was not particularly happy about it, but I didn't lose my shit. I kept it together and I stayed grounded and I actually, I didn't catastrophize. And I think that was um, a testament to the resilience that I've been able to build through giving myself a lot more challenges than the average person gives gives themselves to make myself stronger emotionally. And I think that's something that you have to learn to do through practice. There's a lot of things in life that are terrifying and you can teach yourself to be happy amidst fear. And if you can overcome fear with courage, you can overcome anything. So it does take more than just internal resolve. Like if you surround yourself with people that you love and trust, when things get really challenging, you have people to talk to, not just therapists, but people that actually care about you that are being paid to care about you. So I think it's an inside and outside job, emotional balance and emotional resilience. It's not just about the work that you do on yourself. It's about who you surround yourself with and choosing to surround yourself with people that lift your energy and create your, you know, create a lot of positive, um, positive vibrations and frequencies. It's very um, contagious, you know, and I had coffee with someone today who was just amazing. And I definitely felt like that has made the rest of my day like really, really wonderful. And so people can lift you up or tear you down. And your emotions are often a response to psychosocial stress or financial stress or environmental stress. So 
the solution is connection with yourself and with what you're feeling and getting really clear about what you're feeling and where you're feeling it. And then also processing it with others that, that, that love and care about you and learning not to be the victim, but learning to be resilient and understand and take responsibility for your part of every conflict. Because every conflict is always two people and sometimes more than two. But the key is if you want to really be a strong and resolute human, you have to take responsibility for your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said uh, all around. Beautiful. Let's uh, shape shift into energy and uh, depletion and burnout. I have all this energy. And that's what I've heard in my whole entire life is how do you have all this energy? I love your energy. And that's what people remember. And even when I've been through it, you know, the last few years, people will still be like, you have this pure energy. And for me, I'm feeling like my gas tank is a bit lower, but everyone else sees this glowing magnetic energy about me. And I'm going to be real with you. Like Ariana Huffington is amazing. I love her. She's, you know, one of my Greek mentors, like to heart forever. She asked me to write for her for the Huffington Post, like, you know, back in 2016, and then shapeshifted into Thrive Global. And she has a TED Talk on sleep your way to the top. It's a five minute TED Talk. And uh, she talks oh, yeah, about I her, about that. Yeah. Yeah. but she talks about her burnt out experience and, and how she hit her head on her office desk. And I, I saw that like a while ago, but uh, almost a decade ago, but for the very first time without knowing it, I've probably felt things. But in December of 2022, after our Basel, I felt for the very first time burnt out. Like I didn't know what it actually yeah. felt like. And now I do. And because it now really I know. up on you too. Yeah. Burnout can creep up on you. Yeah. So since I know it now, I'm very aware of how the energy just dissipates really quickly. So what are some tools and thoughts you have on burnout? Well, it's funny because after like writing this book, I was like, man, I need I need to write an entire other book on burnout because people just don't understand it. But it's so powerful to experience it and then to come back from it. And um, the one thing I will say is burnout is essentially vital exhaustion. So you've exhausted all of your capacity and your body can't meet the demands. And so your metabolism often breaks down and your energy levels are tanked and you feel like you're, your gas tank's empty. And so I got really close to burnout at the end of 2020 and fortunately had a psychedelic experience that snapped me out of it. And I was able to like wake up and course correct, but it did take me a good three to four months to really recover enough to start, you know, getting back into the world. Long story short, you know, I think that there's a bunch of different ways that you can tackle burnout, but the way that I would do it first is I really like Dr. Wilson's supplements. He's hmm. he's the he's the guy who kind of coined the concept of adrenal fatigue. We now know that adrenal fatigue isn't actually a thing, but there is HPA axis dysfunction, which is hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis dysfunction. It's when your cortisol levels have been so high for so long that they start shutting down your HPA axis and you start lowering your cortisol output. Now, when this happens, you feel really, really shitty. <laughs> like you feel terrible. I was able to go from high cortisol in September, October of this year to balance cortisol despite launching a book because I was able to course correct through recovery practices. So I basically went deep into recovery. So I was like foam rolling and I was using sauna and I was using my biomat and using my infrared mats, my PEMF mats, my Theragun and massage and yoga and just doing all the things that I knew that were good for my body. So like I said, I need to write an entire book on burnout because it's a totally different 
ball game than just fixing blood sugar. It's like, it's a clear condition related to work stress that um, oftentimes is the end result of usually negativity and psychosocial stress. Like you don't see a lot of burnout in happy people. You see burnout in people who are struggling and who are suffering and who are under the surface really not particularly happy. And it's kind of like depression due to work. It's like your work has drained you so much and your attitude has been so negative that your body just feels like it can't make it. And so it's really important to maintain a positive attitude throughout your healing journey because it will help you heal faster. It's hard to do when you're feeling really terrible. Like I had some really big challenges at the beginning of the year and they were, I was able to like help them. I was able to move through them, but they were not, they were not easy to handle, you know? Those tools that you mentioned, um, some of my friends have them in their homes. So I just want to identify for the user. It's not something you have to go out and do. You can just have these things and do you set aside an hour or two and you make sure you do them every day? Do you kind of do some just throughout the day? You know, you just interweave it into your practice morning, day, night. When you feel something come up, you listen, attune to that, and then maybe go to the biomat or go to the sauna. Like, do you wait until you feel that feeling of like, oh, you're going to deplete or I've done too much work in a rotation or did you take actually some time off of work completely to focus on the healing? How was your experience? I definitely had to change my, and I'd make some ju- adjustments with my schedule when I was trying to heal personally. And I think everybody does. Like one of the things that I tell people in the book is like, if you're under significant stress, you have to increase your recovery, like period. That means you have to create space in your life for recovery. And so whether you feel like your cortisol is high and you're tired and wired or you're completely flatlined, you can't get out of bed, the answer is rest. So sleep is always the first thing I tell people to do. Yeah. A lot of people don't sleep well, you know, and that requires a lot of discipline and a lot of uh, opportunity for, you know, reflection and to me, sleep is a very active thing. I mean, my sleep, I sleep, I get like two hours of REM a night. So I'm really getting a lot of dreams, like a lot of dreaming happening. And I use that as a place to process my day and process my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I really do think that a lot of people should consider, you know, if your job is burning you out, then maybe you want to find a different job. Like if you can't yeah. find a different job, maybe you need to talk to your boss about burnout, you know, and yeah. um, you, everyone deserves space to recover, you know? And to me, if you, you have to find out, you have to figure out how to give yourself the space to do that. Yeah. And I think that's uh, challenging. Definitely. Um, how do you find that space? My sister, I was visiting her in Los Angeles and <laughs> she has one of those watches and she was so proud of it. And she was making sure she got X amount of REM sleep a night. So, you know, cause she, she clocks her sleep. And I, I see that you're big into having those tools and watches as well to be able to uh, know what's happening internally. Do you want to um, discuss or share anything about that? Can you repeat that question one more time? In regards to the watches that help you uh, identify the realm sleep and how much sleep you're receiving. Oh, but Aura Ring has really good research on it. So it's part of the reason why I like Aura personally. It's probably my favorite tool of all my wearables just because I, I use it every day. It's called and Aura really Ring? The Aura Ring. Okay. I, I don't know what Aura You've Ring is. never seen the Aura Ring? No, girl. I am not. And if I don't know, then I'm sure the listener probably, probably maybe wow. doesn't know about it. So that's what I'm saying. It's been around that's for why- a long time, but it's really a phenomenal tool. I mean, it gives you your sleep, your movement, your stress. It gives you your like your intensity of exercise, your heart rate variability. I mean, it's just 
the best. I love this thing. Like I genuinely love this thing. It's one of the, my favorite things to use. Oh, um, I'm going to look it up. Thank you. Yeah. I yeah. think I have a code, Dr. Molly, for a discount. Doctor so. spelled out or D, uh, DR? I think it's Dr. Molly, but I can give you, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll send you a link for the show notes. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'll include it. And then in regards to exercise, do you find, is it fine uh, morning or afternoon? Like when do you work out? And I know everyone is different. So some people like working out later, some people like working out in the morning. Any thoughts on exercise or is it just matter? Yeah, that no, no. I'm, there's some research that I saw some research recently. Um, and I think it was, let me look this up one second. There was, a, there was definitely a research, research that just came out. Um, about men and women and sex differences and timing of exercise. Mm. But apparently, according to this new study, that evening exercise was more effective for men than morning routines, whereas women varied with different health outcomes improving with different exercise times. So men apparently do better working out in the evening. But at the end of the day, oh yeah, this is interesting. So apparently for women, the differences were dependent on whether or not they were trying to shed fat or build muscle. Mm. So basically they found that for women, morning workouts were better at, at eliminating abdominal fat and improving blood pressure better than late day training. But for men, evening exercise led to greater fat burning and better blood pressure control. And evening exercise also amplified the benefits of strength training more so for women. So it's really tricky, like, right? Like if you're trying to lose weight as a woman, maybe morning is better for you. But if you're trying to gain muscle, maybe evening is better for you. Mm. Um, I don't know. I really kind of look at these studies and I'm like, so what real reality is, is like the best thing for you to do is to exercise. So a lot of people just like, don't do the first thing, which is exercise. And like, even today I was, I was going to go to the gym and I ended up having like a two hour morning meeting and an hour and a half morning meeting. And I, and so like, I definitely have gotten less movement in today than I would anticipate. So after this call, I'm going to the gym in the late afternoon, but I prefer to work out in the mornings and I prefer it because it gives me more energy throughout the day and I can get it out of the way. Oh. And then I, I typically like to use my treadmill desk during the day or get walks in throughout the day, depending on the weather. So I'm a big fan of moving just consistently throughout the day. Um, and then trying to do exercise snacks here, here and there if you can. But um, yeah, I think it's really a matter of like also doing whatever you want to do and what you like to do versus like making it a chore. You got to make it something that you like want to look forward to do. And, and then- I like, I also like going to the gym to do saunas and whatnot. I love saunas. Yeah. In regards to the burnout, how much is too much? Like lifting weights? Like how much should, if someone's burnt out, how much is a healthy amount? I guess everyone's different, but uh, certain exercises to avoid and certain exercises, one or two things to um, focus and to do. So you start getting the exercise in, but you're not reaching the capacity of using this energy that's not there or is it going to renew energy how is that um for you with exercise and burnout i still exercise throughout all of the periods of time that i had when i was like when i was burnt out i was still exercising so let's just put it let me put it to you that way and i didn't stop exercising at all specifically because i really believe that exercise creates energy so i worry about people who don't exercise because they're they're feeling so burned out like you have to move your body mm-hmm. and i think it's part of the reason why i was able to recover so quickly is i was able to keep keep exercising and you're so young and beautiful so <laughs> you're, Thank you're you. gorgeous but also i mean i've been i've been burned out multiple times in my life. Hmm. And I also was so chronically fatigued 10 years ago that I couldn't exercise because I had like, I had chronic fatigue syndrome for like a year and a half and maybe two years. And it took me 
five years to get back into shape. So like, I don't want to lose that ever again. My fitness and my body took years to recover from my 20s, which were really sedentary. And so I've not always been as healthy as I am today. It took me years of effort and really building habits that create more capacity. And so, I mean, my goal right now is like, I want to get in the best shape of my life. I want to get in the kind of shape that my friend Wade from Bio-Optimizers is in. I want to get in the shape that Alan Aragon's wife is in and they're in their 50s or something, right? So like my goal is to continue to get better and better and better as I get older and to get fitter and smarter and faster and stronger. And I believe that that's possible. You know, I really do. I love that. What well, um, what are some green flags for health? And then maybe some, because you mentioned habits, right? And I love that you said habits because I've been around a lot of people with some bad habits. And maybe I had those bad habits too. And I thought they were normal. And then we become normalized with the dysfunction of bad habits. So what are some green flags for some good habits? I mean, you just, you've mentioned some, but just to kind of hone in with some you know, optimal good habits that people can start and maybe start eliminating some bad habits. I mean, just making sure you keep track of your steps, you know, like and do and make and then if you notice you're not getting a lot of steps, like making effort to get more steps. When you're feeling burned out, cut back on coffee and caffeine. You don't need it. Like it's not helping you. It's making things worse. Switch to things like Mudwater. I created a, a coffee detox program for Mudwater and I'm really proud of it because it was actually a really good program and um, it helped me, you know, it helped me uh, recover from burnout. It's like getting off of caffeine. So highly recommend this program that I created um, with them. I mean, I didn't create Mudwater, but I created this program. I'll put it, in, you can put it in the show notes, it's in the chat. And then um, I think some other green flags would be Making sure you get enough protein and fruits and vegetables, super simple. A lot of people just don't do those things and they're missing out. Weightlifting, honestly, I think is like the secret to health. And I think you can't ignore cardio, but chronic cardio is not necessarily best for your metabolism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, and then you can't get over like sleep and human connection. Those are just so important. You just cannot ignore them. They're so yeah. important. Uh, I appreciate those words. And, you know, I wish we had more time, but honing it in here, you mentioned, and I'm, you know, a big fan of psychedelics. And you mentioned you had a psychedelic experience in 2020. Which psychedelic did you partake in? And if you want to share some of that with us, it would be awesome. Yeah. So first and foremost, disclaimer for this podcast is I am not in any way, shape or form recommending psychedelics to the public by describing my own personal use. But um, I was in a country during the pandemic that mushrooms were legal. And so in that country, I was able to take medicine and was able to experience a mystical experience that enabled me to look at my myself and how I was living my life and realize that there were some really important changes that I had to make in order to really regain my happiness. And I just wasn't happy. I wasn't like I was really unhappy during the pandemic and I was socially isolated for a while. So that's what I learned. It was like, I looked in the mirror and I was like, wow, I was so hard on myself. I was expecting so much from my body. And I wasn't really realizing just how being hard on myself was not helping me, you know? So I just, I just decided to change my life and I did. And it was really helpful. It was really, really great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. When you did this experience, was it like a full dose? What what was a full dose for you? I know everyone's different. Or was it a micro dose? Like how was it one time experience? Or was it a micro dose? How was it for you? I think it was around three and a half grams or so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely, you know, definitely needed needed the experience at the time. And I was really, really grateful to be in a place. There's places in the world where you can go do mushrooms legally. Jamaica, Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, 
Amsterdam. There's a lot of places that you can go, but you got to go to, it's not legal in America yet, but it's getting decriminalized in Portland and a lot of cities. So that means you may not get arrested, but it's still federally illegal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when you had your experience, were you alone or did you go to a place that facilitated it and they took you on the journey? I was alone, but I also am very well-versed in this type of stuff. I've studied psychedelics for a long time. So even though I was alone, I was still, um, I, I felt very safe and, and I had people that I could call and talk to. Yeah, that's great. You know, you're the doctor here. So just asking you, if someone happened to be on it, since you're well-versed in it, but if someone happens to be on it, but you know, they're having some kind of experience where they just want to like get it out of their body quickly, what are some things that they can do to get it out of their body? What do you mean? You want to end a bad trip? Yeah, if someone wants to like end it, because I had this one experience where someone said, "Oh, drink water," because it just it just you just like pee it out. No, no. The secret is you need a benzodiazepine. Typically, um, it's usually the off switch, like Xanax or or like um, a, a drug in that class. But you know, you would need a prescription from a doctor for that. Mm. Oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. So I'm really excited for everyone to check out your new book. It'll be in the show notes. Any last words of wisdom or anything you want to share about your book before you go and uh, ways people can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at drmolly.co. And you can find me on my website, www.drmolly.co. And those are the best places to find me. Awesome. Congratulations on the spark factor. Thank you. Uh, Definitely. I'm happy to be connected. You have a new role model. I'm a walking, talking billboard. So I'm like, thank you. Oh, yeah. Real quick. I'll send you the clip later. But um, I was doing stand up in New York a few weeks ago with uh, my it was an AI comedy roast with the NFT community. And I did a 10 minute bit. And I was talking about psychedelics. And I'm like, you should talk to Doc- Dr. Molly. Uh, she's you know, she and I was talking about MDMA. And everyone was cracking up because because you, your name's Molly and you I said know, Dr. Right? Molly. And then I, I mean, watched I could, I could do a whole episode on MDMA. So, you know, MDMA is a very amazing healing modality. And I'm very much in support of what MAPS is doing with the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies and Healing Trauma. And we're actually developing a drug agnostic sex therapy protocol that will help people who've experienced sexual trauma, relationship problems, or mood disorders, and had effects on their sexual functioning heal from the sexual dysfunction secondary to these conditions. It's so important. Like everything you just said, it's really important. Maybe we'll have the honor to have you back in the near future and we can discuss these Love that. I would love I, it. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in because of you. We are one of the top podcasts out of almost 4 million podcasts. Please make sure you're liking, subscribing, share this with at least one person on your social media. Make sure you check out the show notes below to get in contact with Dr. Molly. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kitty at key over and out. <laughs>